again, a little bit about uh, Paul and just the way that he writes. That's how we'll open up this morning is just Paul's style and the way he addresses the brethren. Um, let's read a little bit, uh, starting in verse 2. So we covered verse 1. I'm going to read verse 2. He's still addressing his letter. And so in verse 2 he says, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So we'll spend a little bit of time on that, uh, first of all. Uh, so the first thing to really note is how Paul addresses the Colossians. What does Paul call the Colossians? Okay, calls them brethren. What else does he call them? Saints. Okay, uh, so... Always a lot of confusion around the word saints in our uh, world that we live in today. It's interesting how Paul addresses the brethren uh, in Galatians, Corinthians, and Thessalonians. He uh, addresses those uh, letters to the church. And so he uses phrases like to the church whenever he in introduces the letter. Um, and then in uh, Romans, Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians, he addresses the saints. So how do we, how do we organize that? Uh, what is the church and what is uh, the saints? How do, we, how do we think about that? Any ideas? What's the difference between church and saints? That's exactly right. That's, I think that's literally what I had in my notes is the church is just the collection of saints. And the saints are those who are uh, set apart. They're not specialized people in the church. They're not a uh, segment of Christians who do great and wonderful things and miraculous things. Uh, they are uh, the church members that are part of the body, that are the body, uh, that is the church. And there's, there's no uh, certain way that we should read into, um, you know, how Paul addresses his different letters. We've already said uh, the letter to the Colossians is more personal. And that's interesting because Paul had not been to Colossae. Uh, he had gotten word from uh, Epaphras about the Colossians and some problems that they were having. Uh, but he wrote a personal letter. And maybe that's why, um, you know, to Tim's point earlier, maybe that's why he, he addresses to them uh, as the saints, uh, because he's thinking about them individually. Uh, maybe he had heard about certain personalities, and that was just a, a, a top of mind. Uh, but he uses the word saints. Um, and we see this in, in other aspects of uh, the New Testament, specifically in Paul's writings, um, first of all, in Acts 26, it talks about Paul or Saul locking up the saints. So Paul is standing before Agrippa, providing a defense, and he's talking about himself as he was Saul. And he talks about, you know, dragging saints into prison and locking them up. Well, he's talking about Christians. He's not talking about folks that had done something miraculous and, um, and different than Christians uh, Romans chapter 8, 27, it talks about the Spirit interceding on behalf of the saints. Again, just talking about Christians. 2 Corinthians 13, 13, all the saints greet you. 
so that's Paul's letter to the Corinthians, uh, talking about the saints um, worldwide or, or in that area. And then uh, in his letter to the Ephesians in the first part, a lot like his letter to Colossians, Paul is talking about the saints in Ephesus. Um, and so we just use that uh, and we talk about this um, in the church. This is just synonymous with Christians, those who are set apart, uh, those who are, are different, not from Christianity, but different from the world. That's what they're set apart from. Um, so it's, uh, it's a good way to think about uh, Paul's letter here and who he's writing to. Um, and uh, we shouldn't really think about, you know, just looking at that verse, verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers um, or brothers and sisters. You know, Paul's talking to the collective of, of those, uh, those folks, not two different, two different groups. Um, so good, uh, good way to open that up and, and think about that. I also want to talk about, while we're talking about saints, um, what the role of a saint is or the role of a Christian is. And so we're going we're gonna to sit a little bit and talk about how God works through his people. Uh, so God's work through people. Um, and so... If you're going to be consecrated and sanctified and set apart, uh, there's a couple of things that we think about. We primarily think about uh, one specific thing uh, when we talk about being set apart. Um, and uh, it's important for us to think about that. Um, but uh, a lot of times we think about, you know, we're set apart, we're different. And so we're going through this while we're here on earth uh, and so we face things that we don't enjoy, right? Or we're, we're, uh, we interact or we deal with the world, and because we're different, we feel alienated, but we should because we're just sojourners here on earth. Uh, that's a lot of the, the thinking, or at least the way that I think about uh, being a Christian, is I'm just... Here on earth, I'm journeying through, and yes, I'll face disappointments. Yes, I'll feel alienated, but I'm going home one day, right? And uh, that's generally, um, I'll speak for myself, that's generally how I think about uh, Christianity and being set apart. But there's another thing that God wants for us in, um, in being set apart. Uh, we have to prepare ourselves... Yes, for all those things we talked about, but we also have to prepare ourselves to do God's work. And we can't do God's work unless we're sanctified, right? Unless we're made righteous through his son by walking in the light, and being, uh, putting on Christ. Only then can God's work be done through us. If we think about uh, sainthood or being sanctified or being a Christian, if we think about it in that way, uh, along with thinking about I'm, I'm different, I'm set apart, I'm headed to a home, if we also think about it as I've prepared myself so I can do God's work, that's very powerful, much more powerful than I'm just this way because I'm going home to heaven, right? Uh, because that is kind of a... Um, you know, I'm going to go through these things. These are things I'm not going to do. 
know, a lot of times in the church we think about or we dwell on things that we're not going to do. I'm not going to do this, and I'm convicted, and I'm not going to do this. But when we prepare ourselves to do God's work, that paradigm changes a little bit, and it changes from things I'm not going to do to also things that I am going to do. Uh, so preparing ourselves uh, to uh, be consecrated and sanctified so that we can do God's work is a powerful message. Um, that only happens by, by one uh, acceptance, one thing that we have to accept. Uh, this is part of that change, that sanctification, and it is we no longer belong to ourselves. That's another concept that we have to make sure we, we accept. We no longer belong to ourselves. We once did. And we once served someone else, but we no longer belong to ourselves. Who do we belong to? We belong to God, right? Uh, think about it in that way. We belong to God because we were bought with a price, and that price was Christ, right? And we, when we accept that, when we think in those ways... Uh, then and only then can God work through us. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, and we're going to look at verse 19, verses 19 and 20. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This lays it out really well, uh, what I was trying to articulate in my own words, which is, um, you know, we were, we were bought with a price. Uh, the price was Christ. Uh, we're set apart. We're sanctified. But Paul says it here. We don't do all these things so that we can make sure we don't do bad things. Uh, Paul says it. In this way, so glorify God in your body. Uh, so to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be the saints and faithful brothers, as Paul says here in the first part of uh, chapter 1 in Colossians, means that we are, are both uh, living lives of purity um, and sanctification and also uh, embodying the glory of God in our actions, the things we say, the things we do for one another. Okay, uh, we're going to touch a lot of different topics, but the first one was God's work through people, and that really sets the stage as to how God works through us, what we just talked about. Um, any, uh, any comments about those pieces? What do you think about that? We kind of dove into the deep end, kicking that off. Let's look at uh, second piece. Dedicate yourself to God. So do good works. God does works through us when we accept all of those terms that we talked about. The second piece is dedicating ourselves to God. In uh, Romans 12, verse 1, uh, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, so Paul here is writing about 
completely giving ourselves over. Think about this. In the Old Testament, uh, people pleased God by providing animal sacrifices. That's how you pleased God. That was your offering to God. Um, That's not what's talked about in Romans chapter 12. Um, It doesn't say... um, Provide your living sacrifices on the altar as animal sacrifices. Uh, What's presented in the new covenant is God wants a relationship with us through his son. uh, And as a result of that, uh, we should also give ourselves so that he could work through us. Um, Go ahead, James. Hmm. All the other things associated with that. God is Yeah. Yeah. So I think about uh, what you just said in hierarchy, right? Uh, so the hierarchy, the model I would propose, and in, in what you just laid out is, um, you know, God's will and. Um, To have a relationship with God, you have to obey God. In the Old Covenant, to obey God and to have a relationship with Him was through priesthood and uh, sacrifices and animal sacrifices. That was pleasing to God based on that hierarchy, that top hierarchy, obey God. Uh, Now, it works in the same way, just through different means. Um, and it is in a better way, an ultimate sacrifice, a one time that we're able to, uh, to do that. Um, what I'm also suggesting here is that, uh, based on you know, what we read earlier, is that we, we provide daily sacrifices in our lives and the things that we do. We put ourselves second and God's will first, that sort of thing. Um, but it all falls under the... Uh, the idea that obedience is required uh, to, uh, to please God. Well, there's also the conviction, the repentance, which all brings a part of that change in your life, not only between you and God, but such that people recognize that you are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Jim says it also requires conviction and repentance. I I have conviction uh, just coming up here in my notes. Define conviction. What is conviction? It's the turning your life totally around to follow something. Yeah. Yeah, turning your life uh, around to follow something. Um, I also... um, I love, I love the uh, tool that is conviction, because to me, conviction is like a tool uh, in Christianity. And the reason I like it is once you're convicted of something, um, it helps you in future scenarios. Uh, both uh, the, those two paradigms that I talked about earlier, which was the things I am not going to do 
in the things I am going to do. Conviction helps you in that. And a lot of times you may run into people and they're very confused about Christianity or they're struggling or uh, they don't, uh, they, they feel like different people every day. And it's because they're missing that important ingredient in the formula of Christianity, which is conviction. Uh, conviction means that uh, when you're faced with future scenarios, you already know what you're going to do. That is conviction, right? I know that uh, if I'm asked to do something that is against the will of God, I've already convicted myself to the will of God, so I'm going to say no. Or if, um, if I'm in a conversation and someone uh, questions, um, you know, something very simple like the existence of God, I'm already convicted that I'm going to tell about the existence of God or the gospel, right? That is conviction. Uh, and it, it um, you know, nothing about uh, the Christian walk is easy, but conviction sure makes it a lot easier uh, because you're not conflicted in that way. Uh, and so I, I love uh, that word conviction. It personally helps me just personally, as I go through my walk, uh, thinking about things like, I am not going to do this, I am going to do this, that is conviction. Uh, so I had that in my notes. That was a good... Uh, um, so, you know, what, what I've got here uh, is the importance to be committed um, and having that decision of what we will and won't do before those circumstances, uh, that's dedication. First John chapter 4, verse 4, look at that. Let's read that real quick. First John 4, verse 4. John writes, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's a great uh, verse to go to when you think about conviction and commitment, what you're convicted to do. Um, you know, why do I do these things? Why, do, why did I make this commitment in Christianity? Well, John lays it out here. Uh, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in the world, uh, you know, I think we could blanket that with a lot of different things. Uh, the adversary, that could be he who is in the world. I think um, representatives of the adversary or those that are, uh, like I was talking about earlier, confused or don't, have never heard the gospel. Uh, you know, he who is in us is greater than all of those scenarios, all of those circumstances. Um, and so that's a great uh, great passage to go to as you think about uh, dedication and conviction. Philippians 4.13, uh, that's a familiar passage. Uh, we're not going to read it, but it talks about uh, being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's the source of our conviction. You know, how is our conviction so strong? How can we make sure that we dedicate ourselves daily it's only through Christ. Uh, we can't do it on our own. You can't be convicted of the gospel without Christ. Uh, so in order to have that strength and live day to day and, you know, the constant trying to uh, knock us down or, or um, 
you know, kind of uh, dwindle our faith down from the world's perspective, you can only uh, survive that uh, because of Christ. So do you wake up every morning and tell yourself, uh, today is a day that I'm going to be dedicated to God, I'm going to be convicted, um, and um, you know, I'm not going to let anything else uh, override uh, the way I uh, live my life. That is conviction, that's dedication uh, to God's, dedicating ourselves to God. Uh, great comments uh, from Jim. Any other comments about dedication and how powerful uh, that is as we think about that? That's, a, that's a, a good uh, thing to think about, too. If you didn't hear Jim, he was talking about, you know, um, conviction is, is planted in us, um, and we have to let, you know, ourselves, give ourselves room to grow, and um, that's an important piece. In Paul's greeting in uh, verse 2, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Um, we talked about uh, the personal nature of Paul's letter here, um, you know, uh, bestowing grace and peace is a really personal thing. Um, grace is a Greek salutation, uh, peace is a Jewish greeting. And so you see uh, Paul addressing them from both sides in his, his introduction uh, Think about also how grace applies to our spiritual life. We uh, generally think of grace in, uh, in one way, God's grace in one way. Uh, there's, there's two ways that we can think about it, but we generally think about it in one way. What's our definition of grace? So if we say God's grace, there's a common definition that we use in the church today. What is it? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Okay, Nathan muttered that under his breath, so he gets credit uh, for Drew. Um, and I was told that I was picking on Nathan too much last week, so um, I give, give that to, to Nathan. Uh, that's, that's what we use, unmerited favor, uh, favor that we didn't, we didn't deserve, we didn't do anything to, uh, to uh, deserve the, the blessings that we have, Undeserved favor. Another way uh, to complement that, not to replace that definition, but to complement it, again, is God's ability and power to do in our life whatever it is that we really need to do. Um, this includes having peace in dif difficult times. It is uh, through the grace of God that we also have strength here on earth to do God's will. Uh, that is also another way to think about grace. Um, the scriptures make five usages of the word grace, just to broaden that a little bit more. Uh, we're not going to go through every, uh, every piece just because of uh, time, um, but it might be good for your notes. Um, 
The first one is graciousness or charm. Uh, just the grace of a person. You know, we may say uh, this person has a lot of grace about them. Uh, considerations for that is uh, Colossians 4, 6, Luke chapter 4, verse 22. Um, another way that uh, Scripture uses the word grace, acceptance or favor. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 30, Acts 2, 47. Uh, those are great, great examples of that. Uh, gifts, uh, grace and gifts can go hand in hand, 2 Corinthians 4.15. And then um, a lot of times when we think about uh, being grateful or thankful, we think of grace. Uh, Luke 17.9, 1 Corinthians 15.57 are examples of that. And then uh, the one that we often go to is um, grace that is unmerited, undeserved, but freely given. Romans 3, 24, um, and then Ephesians 2, 8. Uh, and like I said, that's, that's normally what we think of when we think of grace and how it is used. Uh, Paul provides a, another greeting, uh, like we said before, peace. Uh, so there's grace and there's peace. Um, and those go hand in hand as well. Uh, if you don't have peace in your life, you've not found a good grasp of what grace is, right? You can't know peace without grace. Um, peace is a Hebrew term. It's a, a condition of health. It's a way to think about uh, how we can live our life in an enjoyable way. Uh, in Paul's greetings... You know, no doubt he's wrapping God's blessings around uh, the ability to have uh, peace. It's not the peace that the world can give. Look at John 14, verse 27. <clears throat> Jesus here is speaking and says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So this is only, as Paul talks about this, this is only the type of peace that you can get uh, from Jesus. Uh, not a, a peace, not a, a beautiful morning where you sit down and you, know, you don't have anything going on on your schedule. That's not the type of peace that Paul is talking about here in his letter to the Colossians. It's the type of peace that you can only get through Jesus, as he talks about in uh, John 14, 27. Uh, we also know that, uh, that with peace does come tribulation. And we talked a lot about that at the beginning of our, our lesson this morning. But um, peace is difficult, uh, and it's not easy to, to grasp this strong type of peace that you get um, through Jesus. So we pray for peace, we work for peace, uh, we long for it, we don't always get it, um, and, um, but we do know that God wants us to live peacefully. 1 Timothy chapter 2 talks about peace, verses 2 through 3, and we know that God wants this for us, uh, but it's not an easy thing to get. And so Paul greets them uh, with peace. Then he goes into a, a full section from verses 3 through 14. He talks about uh, prayer. He talks about being thankful. 
And uh, in verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Um, that's a really uh, good way to think about um, how you pray, right? You start your prayers with thanksgiving. We prayed this morning, and because I had studied this lesson, we started off being thankful. Um, is that how you start off your prayers? Being thankful. Uh, thankful, uh, you know, for everything that um, God does. Uh, a lot of times when I pray, I, uh, I think, uh, I try to be thankful um, uh, in a generic way, and I thank God for all of his blessings. Uh, but it's also really good for us to be thankful for specific things. It's good for us, and uh, it acknowledges to God that um, we know and understand his blessings. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, Paul starts off Colossians saying, I pray and I'm thankful for you, specifically the church in Colossae. Um, it's a good lesson for us. All right, we're going to close out this morning talking about the last topic, which is uh, faith and love. Um, and so let's read just a little bit more um, in, uh, in this piece of Colossians. In fact, we're going to read through uh, verse 7. Paul says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the world of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from uh, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Okay, so we learn a little bit more about the people in uh, Colossae. Uh, so we already learned some things, so just to review... Uh, what is Paul's big ask in his letter to the Colossians? He said we were going to go back and remember this every week. What is Paul's big ask? To remember what they had been taught, right? What was the problem that Paul was addressing? False teaching, okay? So uh, there were things that were creeping in. We talked about Gnosticism the very first lesson, uh, that's one thing that they were beginning to struggle with uh, because that was creeping in. Um, and so Paul is asking them to remember, to go back and remember uh, their prior teachings. And Epaphras, we said, was probably the one that alerted Paul of this. And this was another thing we talked about. This is kind of a proactive letter uh, that Paul is writing to them uh, you think of it a little differently than like uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, that was more reactive. Divisions had already started. Paul was trying to get out ahead of this. But we learn one other thing as we try to organize the letter of Colossians. We learn something about the Colossians here in, um, in verse 4. Uh, and then la later on in verse 8, they are famous for what? Faith and love, right? 
Paul says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. What a great thing. What a great quality, right? Um, so I kind of picture Epaphras somehow getting a message over to Paul and saying, we're, we're starting to get some problems here. You know, some of these thoughts and thinking and teachings are creeping into the, the church here in Colossae. But there's some good things, too. They are, are really built up around faith and love that has a good grasp in the church and Colossae. So as you, um, as you think about, you know, two years from now, you think about this class that we had this quarter, remember those things. Paul wants them to remember. They, had pro they were beginning to have problems, and this weird word Gnosticism was creeping in, but... The Colossians had a strong grasp around faith and love. Um, and so just in the same way that we're to be faithful people, uh, the Colossians uh, were known for being faithful people. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, we, For we live by faith, not by sight. We live by God's word, not by the tangible things that are around us. Um, Man, we just run out of time. Uh, look at Rome, Romans chapter 8. I'm going to go ahead and go there just because I love um, Paul's writings on faith in Romans chapter 8 in verses 31 through 39. We're going to try to get through it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all, us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Not in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so um, here Paul is talking about the power of love and he talks about those in uh, Colossae and how they were deeply rooted in faith and love. Now I love this phrase, uh, you are more than conquerors that Paul provides here in, um, in, verse, in chapter 8. How can you be more than conquerors? What is more powerful than conquering something? Um, it means that we've won whatever it is that we encounter. Um, and if you think about the Israelites in, uh, in their wilderness wanderings or even before that, God and throughout the kings, uh, everything that they um, had because they were chosen by God as a nation, as a people, they were uh, promised that whatever they encountered, they could conquer. Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, 
that's what it means to be more than a conqueror. So whatever it is, if you're uh, fully owned by God, like what we talked about earlier, the battle is already won. Um, I think that's what Paul is trying to address uh, here. Um, last of all, faith. Um, we, we also, we've, we've defined some things here. Uh, faith is another thing that um, is uh, defined for us. Hebrews 1 talks about faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, we've heard a lot about that um, as, we, uh, as we hear uh, different talks about faith. I think of assurance as uh, the confirmation um, so it's, it's something that is confirmed, it's done. Um, the conviction is the actual proof embedded in faith. So it's almost like we don't see it, but it's already proved. That's how we can think about faith. Um, so many things to cover, I'm running out of time. Uh, there's this interesting topic, I'll just touch on it in this way, in uh, Romans chapter 1 that talks about Faith to faith, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, it says, uh, Paul here is talking about the power of the gospel, how powerful the story of Jesus from beginning to end really is. Uh, and it's so powerful that you almost get this uh, compounding faith action and momentum that happens. Verse 17, it says, he writes, In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And so, as a result, again, the power of the gospel creates faith that builds on faith, uh, that just keeps moving in that way. Uh, that's how powerful faith is. Last of all, love. Uh, consider John 13, 35. Jesus talks about love being the primary attribute for his disciples, loving one another. And uh, I think when we look at verses 4 through 8 of Colossians chapter 1, I think Epaphras loved the church there in Colossae so much uh, that he is the agent that really created all of this because of his love, and he boasts of the love of the Colossians there. Um, the last piece is uh, just thinking about faith and love and how it's based on hope. Without hope, uh, you don't get some of those things. Um, but I've, I'm out of time. Uh, I appreciate your comments, and um, we'll continue on in our study next week. Thank you.